Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm just saying this over and over again until it's officially official that we are actually live. Chris is on site in an undisclosed location, looking like he's in a bunker from the 1970s with some kind of abstract painting going on in the background. This is our first podcast back since uh, we've kind of re-updated our schedule and rechanged our format as we go into our eighth anniversary. Chris, dude, I'm going to give the floor to you. You, what, what are you doing? <laughs> you don't have to give me your address, but where are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm at uh, your brother's house. For anybody that's never checked out our origin video of how Chris met Brian, um, that's, that's a good one. That's an old school. That's an oldie, but a goodie. Uh, anytime we're streaming, I think it's like slash origin or something like that. I'll we'll pull the link. Yeah. And um, his younger brother was my college roommate. And we had a third roommate who went on to become a surgeon and worked on Capitol Hill and basically anything that's like awesome. He kind of leveled it up uh, and he just he finished his medical residency and uh, had some time before he goes into fellowship. And so he came to town and they wanted to work out. I can it literally sounds like foggy in this ear because we were working out intense enough that this is all like a cotton balls in my ear. So I just finished trying to keep up. Yeah. Those two kindly took a bunch of weight off the bar each time it was my turn. Nice. And we did a group workout. So we worked through 6,000 meters of rowing and a bunch of reps and I don't know everything. I'll tell you, I'm on the second floor of your brother's house and I, I slept here last night and the second floor did not seem far, but after the workout, I was like, Paul <laughs> is up those stairs. Yeah. This is far. Yeah. And Chrome wasn't installed. So it's and like Chrome a, wasn't installed. I was yeah. ready at 1020. And then it was like, well, how do I get all this set up in this room? So. Oh, man. This nice is, light, oh, dude. Oh, yeah. His, his Peloton. This is a blue Yeti. He's got a new mi oh, nice his mic. mic. Yeah, I yeah. thought you said bike. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> of course he does. No, yeah. Didn't use bike. So, yeah, I actually helped him with that because he's done some YouTube stuff. Uh, yeah. for like uh, real estate and whatnot. So I was like, yeah, here's here's what you need to do. Here's the mic that I I, I recommend. I got an upgraded mic now with the Shure mic. And uh, yeah, so, well, we've been we've been all over the place, like over the last uh, last month. You started a new job uh, and we've had a couple streams. You're doing some podcasts. Kind of your Thursday is your content creation day. So for those of you who are joining us live or you're that's watching this, yeah, that's the plan long-term. But that's not to say there is a lack of things to talk about. That's not to say that there isn't things to be excited about. I believe this time next week, you're going to be in a, in a city that allows like gambling and hookers. And uh, you're probably not going to partake in either of those things. Day and the first two Thursdays, one of them I'm working out with my roommate, my college roommates all day. And then the second one, I'm on a plane where everybody at work, I, I kind of started this new job and I was like, I'll be unavailable those days. And they're like, where are you going? I go to Vegas. They go, whoa. And I was like, oh. I know you think I'm doing something intense. My goal is to go surround myself with people a lot nerdier than you're imagining. Uh, <laughs> and I'm super stoked about it. They're like, wow, yeah. you're gonna be like out all night partying. I was like, I am. I'm going to be talking about global cool downs and <laughs> changes to class rotations. Potency and, breaks. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Exactly yeah. what you're picturing when I say Vegas. 100% dude. <laughs> so for those of you who are uh, hanging out with us uh, and you, maybe you're unaware or, or time just got away from you, uh, next week is the kickoff to Final Fantasy's Fan Fest. Uh, and this is going to be the start. This is where we're going to see the trailer for 7.0, learn its true name, and uh, and so much more. 
and a live letter. That's going to be the next day, though. Like usually, right? They do the live yeah. letter. Okay, cool. They haven't changed up on me. I have. I've been kind I of. Believe, in... uh, I don't know if the schedule got posted. It probably is posted about now. Okay. Uh, maybe a rough itinerary. If I had to guess, based on the last fan fest, we're probably coming up on time for the schedule to be posted. Uh, so for there's all an app. That's like, dude, it's on the lodestone. What are you doing? Yeah. It's yeah. Probably on the lodestone. Um, if I had to guess, and so, we'll, but it based on last time, basically day one will be most exciting. The keynote. Uh, which will be the reveal of the trailer. They'll most likely open on the trailer, and that trailer will end with the title image, the, the, which will reveal the name. So the name of the expansion will most likely be revealed in the last couple seconds of the trailer. That trailer will be a shortened version, and the trailer will get longer with each fan fest because there will be things that are slight callbacks to patches like 6.5, which is not out yet, Mm -hmm. um, and so obviously they would not want those things in yet, but those will make more sense once yeah. we get the fan fests that happen after that. So I guess the first, uh, kind of question, cause I'm gonna talk to you about 14 and fan fest cause it's right around the corner, but I do still want to get your thoughts on the latest Xbox Activision, my, uh, blizzard news, get your thoughts on Diablo four, get, your, you know, like there's so much again, like this is great. So we'll be doing these shows roughly once, uh, once a week, uh, Thursday. And then while you're out at fan fest, I'll be covering it kind of from the remote location, and then we're gonna dial in like we are right now, and uh, and have conversations about what it's like uh, going on at FanFest, uh, and talk about all the announcements and the reactions, etc. So on that note, like from a your expectation, setting your expectation for next week from not the live letter, but focusing in on uh, purely what we're talking about with the keynote. Uh, which is 7.0 focused. And for those of you just to set expectations, if you're new and this is going to be your first expansion, they'll come out in 7.0, 7.0. And then the rest of it's going to be like, and now we're done talking about 7.0 and we're going to focus in on 6.5 right. with, with a couple, maybe a couple hints, but there's going to be any Q and a is going to be all asking about 7.0. And they're going to be like, well, we can't tell you about 7.0. Before the there will be some level of disclaimer. Um, the last in-person fan fest, for example, they announced Blue Mage and they said, tomorrow we have an entire panel going over Blue Mage. So during the Q&A, please don't ask questions about the Blue Mage because we would prefer those questions be asked after the panel. And then they opened up the floor for questions. And I believe the first or second question was, so on Blue Mage, I had a question. So th there will be questions that do not listen to whatever the instructions are because people are just excited. Mm -hmm. We're just excited. The, we've already forgotten about the rules before they even state them and, yeah. and people will, will, and there will be questions. Um, 6.5 is a monstrous patch. So for anybody that maybe Shadowbringers was their first expansion. So they were kind of living through them in real time, not quite sure. And so Endwalker is their first time through on patch days each time. Um, I've already seen some questions at 6.4 and at 6.45 kind of asking about, uh, you know, as we talked about those, they're like, Hey, did they forget about the last Alliance raid? Some questions like that. So for anybody that's not familiar with the patch cycle. Um, it is fairly regularly. So that's why people don't answer your question readily because they just assume you know, because once you're around, you'll know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you'll get there. <laughs> you know, and so you know. welcome in. And uh, basically the Alliance raids are your odd numbered patches, 0 0.1, 0 0.3, 0 0.5. Uh, and so the last Alliance raid will be on 0.5. The raid series are on even numbered patches, 0 0.0, 0 0.2, 0 0.4. Uh, and those are our savage fights. Um, we get somewhere between one and two ultimates per expansion, and they aren't going to put those at the end of the expansion because while they're meant to live on and be interesting long term and they try to protect those as best as possible, they're most interesting 
um, if you could put those with like the 0.1 and 0.3 patch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd assume they're going to do that moving forward. Now, remember, we are supposed to get um, yet another criterion. Um, island Sanctuary maybe said we were going to be expanding our islands. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still some kind of missing pieces of content uh, in with this. And so the 0.5 patch is the largest patch cycle outside of the expansion drop because it is the only patch where the half patch gets main story. It's half patch has historically, I don't have my spreadsheet with me today on a site, but it's it's half patch historically runs a little shorter. Our half patches are normally about 56 days after patch. Mm-hmm. The 0.55 patches can easily come in in like 32, 46 days. So they can come in several weeks early. And the reason for that is that's what's going to unlock the final tier of Savage. So all that loot drop puts the echo on it, all of that. And that's also going to be when your final relic drops, which is the most powerful weapon, all expansion. So for anybody that's been too nervous about Savage, the best time to hop on Savage is during the point, the, the launch. The next best time is the point five, 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 when we are all way too powerful. And there will be all sorts of communities like the amazing Lama Todd. Um, They're happy to help you through that. So if you've always been interested in it, you're coming up on the perfect window to give Savage a go. So beyond that, though, for the keynote itself, like what are what are you like if you if you had to pick three things that are going to just rock your world, like things that you were just like, uh, even if you know they're coming, I, I just generally curious, like what are your, what are your three most like I'm looking forward to this because to give an example for anybody who's listening to to kind of focus the question a little bit, we know Zeppelin was really excited about uh, male VR, like that sure. was an obvious thing that was something stated. So has there been yeah. kind of this thing that you like, man, I would like, even if it doesn't happen, I'm, I'm still going to be fine with the game, but are there, are there a couple bullet points that you'd be like, yeah, that's, that's my bingo card. I mean, first of all, remember that they have to save some surprises for the next two fan fests, as opposed right. to something like BlizzCon, <laughs> where they can reveal an expansion to World of Warcraft, and it's the one and done. And mm-hmm. so they can they can kind of uh, release their full load of information, as it were, and they don't have to worry about resting up for future releases. Uh, these guys got to be able to go three times back to back. And so Yoshibi's going to save some things, and what they'll do is they'll tease us. Um, big teases that will be revealed across these keynotes in general. Uh, I do believe we're going to get female Rothgar. Um, mm. And so that at some sense. point, see a female Rothgar. I don't know if that'll be the NA. At some point, we will probably get at least one new job. I do think they should drop to one new job per expansion just because the total number of jobs mm. and then a heavy rework on jobs. Um, I would also expect us to see what the reveal is for the title job. I think that will be at the NA. So uh, Endwalker was Paladin, for example. Yeah, And I think that's going to give us a great indication of where we're going. I agree mm-hmm. with Aorkian Archives that the coolest one for me to be excited about would be if Summoner was the title job, because for any of you that don't know the lore, like me, any time before two years ago, um, <laughs> the so- Southern Sea Isles on the northern end of Mercidia is where Summoners and Arcanists and stuff came from, mm-hmm. the land of the Lalafell. And so if we could find out that it was summoner that would kind of confirm that the next place we're going is south yeah Uh, i would love to go see that when you see your map of eorzea um in the foggy area in the middle in ilsebard there are places that i'd love to go like corvos uh which is just north of thabner but if you go south of thabner down to the past the bottom edge of that map there is a whole other continent down there uh called Mercidia and that would allow us to have a very maybe dragon themed maybe some really interesting Mikote lore like there's there's a lot of fascinating people that have gotten and things that have happened down there there's some big conflict as far as like maybe studying some of the old ancient civilizations of the game Mm -hmm. um 
and kind of the ownership of the land. And, and so like we could, we could learn a, raw, a lot of really interesting stuff and that would allow us to see a land where maybe Assians and stuff have impacted 14 in ways that we haven't seen um, because we don't directly interface with Mercidia. It's referenced yeah. a lot. We've never been. And that's where I'd want to go. Um, Corvos is interesting. The New World is interesting. Um, sh other shards are interesting, but like Mercidia is where I want to go for an expansion. Yeah. And I want every zone there. What I don't want. Yeah, that, that, that's uh, what was going to be my follow up. One zone of Corvos, one zone of Mercidia, one zone of New World. And then they've taken what could have been three separate expansions and they just rush through it. And then you only get to see a glimpse of any one of those places. Um, my mm -hmm. one disappointment about Garlemald being a zone in Endwalker is that um, because it's a zone and it's not a Garlean expansion, uh, it, it's hard to see how we'll get to see all that the, Gar the Garlean empire was, as opposed to if we'd been spilled an entire expansion exploring the impact of just Garlean instead of all the things that Endwalker addresses, we could have really dove a lot wider on, on just how the Garlean Empire rose and all of that, and all those events of them being pushed out of their original land and then having to take that back through the invention of Magitech and, and seeing how that resulted in all these different cultures they assimilated. So they kind of act like maybe like the modern day Russian empire where like, mm. think of here in the US, we talk about Russia like it's a country, but it's actually more of an empire with like multiple different time zones, multiple different languages, multiple like whole different sections of Russia are run very, 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 very differently, um, substantially, larger differences than like Louisiana versus California. Like it's, it's right. way broader. Russia is a very diverse place. Um, and like the Garlean empire kind of has some of that. And like, we don't in the modern day in the real world, we don't really have like Russia is the best example I can think of of somewhere that has that many different, and maybe if you try to compare like the whole EU, right. Where you have people who speak different languages, think of different governmental bodies, grew up with different educations and different cuisines and different, you know, like, maybe it's, it's just hard to picture exactly how the Garlean empire works because it's, mm -hmm. they kind of just absorbed other disenfranchised people, not always willingly. Um, and I would have loved to explore that a lot more than what we got to. And so I hope we do that with Mercidia. Yeah. That's going to be really interesting to see. Obviously the location will be, you know, revealed. And like you said that I would love if, you know, if it was all zone based on, that continent so you can you know spend so much time one of the things that's like what you said really took me back to when zepatol was just a, a dungeon as opposed to like a, a full zone and it's like oh man i'd love to be able to explore more of what this is but okay it's a dungeon you know like that that's what it is that they ever expanded on that i think that'd be a real win would you want to see them see for me i don't know why i would love to see them like restore the like the three main cities into like one zone uh, you know, with all the with the technology that they ha they have in place, it's it's a small thing, but it goes actually a long way, especially when you look at all the newer cities, they're all just one, you know, they're like they're unified, they're not uh, disconnected. Would you like to see some kind of technology, uh, you know, enhancement to the the base uh, 2.0 forward game with uh, 7.0, along with the uh, visual graphic representation of there that's, you know, we're expecting? I don't totally understand how they built them. I'm not your tech guy, but what I will say is like, what is more likely based on the way other games have done it is that some event causes Ulda, Limsa, and Gridania to be rebuilt. Mm -hmm. um, and so instead of having old and new Gridania, you have newest Gridania, probably a better name out there. Uh, <laughs> and that becomes a whole new Gridania and they yeah. reshape it in its entirety. And so they just remove any inefficiencies in it. 
uh, not just make it one zone, but also just make it easier to traverse in general. Maybe make the seasonal event able to accommodate more diverse seasons. Maybe um, structure the little tiny aetherites into ways that make more sense so that when you're navigating, you're not like, why am I going to the Lancers Guild? Because I want to train one of my disciple of hand. Uh, and so like, I, I think there's, you know, there's some other things that could be kind of cleaned up. The problem with that is I think something would be lost out of what's there. So what I would hope for is that we would do some of the phasing technology mm -hmm. um, and we would leave that in place archivally. Um, not necessarily because the newer one's not better. Uh, newer is always better. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think that it would be it would be really nice. Like it's a bummer for people that they cannot go back. I know Yoshi P thinks that 2.0 is so much better than 1.0, but that's very easily stated for somebody that got to experience it. Right. And so like, it would be nice if we saved that for people. I don't like when they remove quests rather than maybe archive those, we're going to pull those out of MSQ and we're going to make them optional side quests. Like I would prefer us leave things in game. Um, just in general, I just think we're at a point where hard drive space is cheap. We're at a point where, you know, computers are capable of handling quite a bit. Um, I would rather just leave everything in game instead of trying to have somebody police. Is this good enough to stay in game or not? Let's just let's just keep it all. Let's just be digital mm -hmm. path rats and let's just archive everything. Yeah, uh, I like that in World of Warcraft, the old Silithus is still in game. Um, you know, I, I just I think that's really great. So I don't disagree with you that some of these things like city states that early, especially as we talk about like continually rehashing the new player experience, mm -hmm. I think the city states are absolutely something that could be cleaned up. Um, but I would prefer that to be done in a way where you can still go back and do the old ones. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, yeah, I worry that the move to that we would lose some things. I worry that to the move to that they would go, we don't even need this thing anymore, and they would get rid of some stuff. That's a fair. That's a that's a fair assessment. Now, I want to talk about uh, battle system changes and expectations, uh, because Solid in chat says uh, no new jobs, just rework a load of them and actually get rid of the two minute meta. And this is an important uh, thing to highlight because Skyfall loads them up and says, "What? What's the two minute meta? I'm not aware of what that really means." And we were there for the announcement of the like the two minute meta, what is now uh, being referred to as that. And so I thought, let's uh, talk about the battle system changes, especially in lieu of like the concept of no new jobs, because the no new jobs movement is growing. I don't think it's the majority of players, yep. but like at some point, you know, the question is, is that do you still go with two? You think and advocate for one and, and reworking of the other jobs? Uh, what is the two minute meta to get everybody up to speed? And then let's talk about kind of what changes we want to see with the, uh, the battle system in 7.0. So in a tab target MMO, um, you know, you end up with, because it's tab targeted. So when you shoot a bow, the bow just shoots at the target for you. The way these games at a base fundamental level make combat more interesting is that they add many abilities and you'll have abilities on cooldowns amounts of time you have to wait you'll have other abilities that you can use all the time but maybe they have combo bonuses if you use them in certain orders or after certain events some games like world of warcraft those can be more situational based maybe it's based on a proc rate or something like that this is how final fantasy handles things like dancer and sometimes those are much more one two three one two five one two three one two five and whatever that order is uh, the same way you would write a, uh, a song to play on guitar, that becomes known as your rotation. 
those rotations may have like a base rotation that's just kind of on loop. And then every couple of minutes, there is a bigger portion. Uh, and so usually that bigger portion results in a couple of things within RPGs. We're talking very general here. Um, these are things that buff other groups in your party. Uh, and these are also things that hit a lot harder, um, maybe if executed correctly or maybe just in general. Um, and so those come up less often. Those are your big moments. And so what that does is that creates kind of this undulating cycle where you're at the top of the cycle and then you kind of cool down and you build up. And the goal is for you to have all your buffs active when you hit with your heaviest abilities. And that's as a party. So you may have people who are most responsible for buffs and other people who are most responsible for damage. But the goal is that we're all going to line up. Now, the way it has worked in Final Fantasy historically is that um, there were a variety of mountain peaks and there were taller peaks and shorter peaks. Now, the goal in Endwalker to wildly summarize this was to make it easier to switch between jobs by making an aspect of the job feel very familiar. And they thought that the part that needed to feel familiar was the amount of time between those peaks. And so they took the majority of the jobs in the game and they made those peaks at two minute intervals. And what that means is now a bunch of jobs buffs and a bunch of jobs ultimate damage peaks at these two minute intervals. And that means from a boss design standpoint, you want to design the boss so that there is an opportunity that if you execute things correctly, you can do a ton of damage on the two minute interval. And there's not some weird like intermission where you all kind of pop all your abilities and then the boss pops off the stage. And so now you have a combat system that from every angle is encouraging two minutes. Now the goal was to invite a lower caliber of player to join in the fray. This will be easier to understand, but what it did instead was if you make a mistake, it happens, you miss an ability. We have a long global cooldown in this game. Your rotation now slides. And as soon as you slide off the two minutes, you are now way behind. And because there is not a variety of peaks now, there's just only the two minute windows. There used to be these kind of multiple windows along the way as Framsey stating two, three, four, and six. And so there was opportunities to say, hey, I messed up. I'm gonna try holding some of my abilities to hop onto the next one. And yes, it's suboptimal, but it gives you an opportunity to feel like you're re-merging with the pack, right? Hey, they're running too fast for me. I'm gonna wait at the next street corner. And when they come back around, I'm gonna join back in with the pack and keep running. Mm -hmm. Well, now you have a punishment where the people who can stay perfectly on two minutes are in this perfect aerodynamic line like the Tour de France, and they are just pulling further and further and further ahead of everybody who made a single mistake. If you make them a single mistake in your first two minute window of a fight and you are in something like an ultimate, um, you are behind there for the remainder of the fight. That's it. You never catch back up. And so it was the goal was to raise there's what's called a skill floor which is the mm -hmm. minimum amount of skill to be viable and a skill ceiling which is the theoretically best that a player can do and the goal is for everybody to be above the floor but to have a great distance for us to improve up to the ceiling you don't want to have it be boring as soon as you're above the floor where the ceiling's real low but you don't want to have, have the floor so high that we can't invite in new players the goal was to raise the floor but they accidentally skyrocketed the ceiling because now anybody that is anything but perfect is screwed if you die, if you miss a button, if you mess up your opener. So when you're watching these Savage and Ultimate streams, you will hear them say like, oh, I botched my opener. And you're like, oh, well, that's no big deal. Like they'll just do good from here on out. No, no. what they're saying, is this is now a wasted pull. And so that's why people want to see that go because they took what was a little bit of a pattern before and they mm -hmm. made that now the requirement. Right. 
So from a battle system change then, obviously I think that that uh, feels like, especially when I'm reading uh, the chat messages, that the majority of people feel like that that system needs to to, to go away. And, and I think that would probably be celebrated, but that's the time to do it as an expansion. That's not something that you can do mid, uh, you know, mid expansion. And ideally they've gotten that data for the last two years. So that come 7.0 battle systems been, uh, been changed, been updated and thus feels a little bit better. I keep getting pinged on your phone. I just hear it. I don't know if you it's can hear it. It's your brother's computer. <laughs> I was just like, Oh, okay. Probably getting, probably getting text messages. Oh yeah. Sent to his computer. That makes complete sense. Um, on that note though. So, uh, for me, I'll, I'll answer kind of one of the things that I want to see. <laughs> just, it's just going off. <laughs> um, the thing I want to see is, uh, I would love to see personalized limit breaks. I would love to see, and whether they called it the limit break system, but the party limit break does feel like it's, you know, it's very subjective, but then when you saw and felt the limit break system in PVP, it really helped, I felt, define the class identity as a function, as a, as a play style. So for me, if they come out on stage and say, we're, we're giving every you know, job their own limit break you know, that they can execute, that would be something ideal. Now, you have an interesting expression. So for those who are listening to the audio version of the podcast... Chris, what the hell are you doing, man? I don't know what you. For any of you that are driving on the road, I'm sorry for the number of times you just pounded on your steering wheel as you talk back to Brian about whether or not you're excited about this. Some of you are saying yes, 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 and some of you are saying I'm going to shut this thing off. So that's our typical reaction. When the PVP system was changed, there was a general positivity towards the change for the context of PVP. Where a lot of the hesitation came from is that PvP was so simplified that there were people who said, what if they PvP the PvE? Because there are going to be people that like this simple version and say, mm -hmm. why can't I bring this into dungeons? Why can't I bring this into raids? Mm -hmm. Which means you remove utility skills, you remove complex rotations, and you just do this. The PvP system is basically uh, a class in a bar, drinking and telling stories and exaggerating, talking about some fantasy version of themselves. And every job gets to be a fantasy version of itself. The world's most extreme version. Tell your favorite story and make yourself the hero of that story. That is the PVP system. And that works for the purpose of PVP. We let people in at level 30, we encourage switching jobs. It's a great way to level up alternate jobs. It's short. It's it's not something that is used to progress. It's not really meant to be um, a required progression element. It's not something that we tie complex systems behind, such as Ultimate or Savage. It is a standalone thing that was being underutilized by a large portion of the player base. And so, yes, there are some changes that did fragment some of the arena-style combatants, and those players did get pushed out. But in trade, some of those players enjoy the new stuff, and a lot more of the player population has engaged with PvP as they've moved towards this kind of crystalline conflict fantasy version. And it's awesome. Do not bring that into PvE. Not the, the limit break system? I would not. Not the I simplification. Not, I would be careful to say anything comes from PvP and goes into the PvE system. So I, using PvP as an example, I think is a mm -hmm. really slippery slope. I would prefer them to be more divergent, mm -hmm. not less so if we're trying to move to single limit break um i would ask myself like what is something 
else that we can learn from. Because if we're pulling it from, even if we're learning the same thing from something else, learning it from PVE, that is a short hop, skip and jump over to, well, then why don't we just prune half the abilities off the mm. bar? Why do we even have buffs? Why do we even have utility? Like yeah. protect, pull all of that. Why don't we just, and and then you just yeah, slowly my next... start asking for the limited right. job system from like the relic stuff. So like, why can't everybody have a raise? And then you have pulled this down to where we have no form of class identity, no form of problem solving during complex mechanics. All of that goes away. And I don't play at that level. I'm not a savage progression raider. I've never cleared an ultimate, but I appreciate that those things are there. I appreciate mm. that that room is there. Um, so I would be really disappointed if we started to see any element of PVP bleed into PVE. And so like, it's not that I'm against a solo limit break as a concept. Um, what I would actually rather see is um, a limited job type system for non-instanced content applied to all jobs. So oh, dude, that'd break, be wild. I, if we're going to break oh, something, hell I'm yeah. Go break hunts. Yeah. Let's go break open world content. Let's, let's break, break that open world content. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, like, you know, give give a black mage the ability to pop a bubble that lets them practice their aoe rotation on a quest that says kill 10 mobs it is a bummer that you are the, one of the best aoe classes and you says kill 10 things and you're like okay i'm gonna go kill one at a time now like 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 but i don't want to be in a world where the tank and the healer dc and the black mage is like well i'll just finish the dungeon so like i like that the classes are supposed to rely on each other as a warrior don't get me wrong it's been fun to not need you guys it's yeah. unhealthy it's wildly <laughs> unhealthy the, the brian's like hey i gotta go i gotta go um let help my wife carrying groceries and i just finish the dungeon without him that's not right. okay like right. it's what i do right now and like don't get me wrong a warrior in all dps is a really fun way to do your daily daily roulette uh but it's not healthy like i think instance content leave us reliant on each other leave us group minded um and i love that we have to choose between using a limit break that's like defensive or the healer lb is such a big deal and the healer lb is such a big deal because it's a shared thing it's a shared resource um so if we're going to move to solo lbs or if we're going to move to anything like that i would rather us say and that actually is the road to blue mage becoming a real job is the idea that every job has a blue mage open world version and has a real job instanced version variant actions in the open world something like that Julie. yeah exactly so like i've seen chat talk about like skill trees i've seen uh, chat as uh, we're talking about the battle system changes and everybody's outside got different opinions right outside of instance content leave Criterion, right. Savage, Ultimate, just the way they are mm -hmm. as your ultimate challenge to get better at the game, the core system, and then have a system you get to screw with anything from Eureka all the way to Blue Mage when you're out on your own. Mm -hmm. Yes, 100%, because that gives it, and then that gives them the ability. I think the other technological backend piece that the game would need to make is what they do with their exploratory zones where they funnel people into the zone. So if all of a sudden you imagine the data centers kind of breaking down those walls even further so that every zone was like, we're just going to put people into this zone until it reaches a cap. And then we're going to just make another version of that, AKA what Guild Wars 2 does. And then all of a sudden open world content becomes viable because the thing you want with open world content, which is the same thing people complain about it is like, oh, you just zerg down the boss. Well, yeah. But there's a fun to that. There's a, an attractiveness to that. But you need people in that zone in the first place to even make that content, you know, an option. Otherwise, you're like, I can't, as a solo player, beat down that 
that box. And if, and if you make it engaging enough, that group will form. Like the fact yeah. that Eureka is still alive is crazy. Right. And in Eureka, I, I don't, I don't know how much money I would have been willing to bet that it would not have been alive in Endwalker, but it mm -hmm. is. So like I was wrong. Like I did not like Eureka on launch. I was not alone in that. And like, I think I like it more now. It's kind of growing on me. It's like a family guy joke where it goes through that little valley and then it comes back yeah. up the other side. Like it's, it's Eureka has had a long tail on it. Um, and so like, I'm not saying things like that can't thrive, but they yeah. just have to be very, very, very thoughtful. I've seen Chad talk about this and I'm going to echo it like an update to the, the level sync system, because your point on Eureka uh, is I think solved by Boja. And I was like, well, there's a point where I want to be able to use this as leveling content. I also, I, you know, for me, and you've, we've talked about this, you know, many times, the fatigue of losing all your abilities, especially going into low level content, especially with the gap in that content, like at level 50, it didn't feel as rough when you had to sink down to a level 20 or 30 dungeon. You're like, okay, I don't have certain skills. That makes sense. But now when you're like talking about level 100, it's like the gaps and skills ends up being like, yeah, like I'm not actually having a lot of fun in that content. So if they went through, you know, like I agree with you 100% on the open world stuff, I would champion that. That would be something that would get me out of my seat and just like, you know, freaking scream to the, you know, to the heavens in praise. Um, but then in, in instance content, like just sitting here like, okay, your, your character's your character. You're, oh, you made it to level 100 here are your abilities and skills and the thing is going to either adjust to you or we're going to just nerf the potency down so that like if you think about it that the math behind it i've always kind of stated is that here is your theoretical cap of a maximum amount of damage that you can do in this dungeon at this level and then it's just like you're capped at that you know like we're just going to make sure that like if it's you know if we know that you can only output 100 dps per second at this point, we don't care what ability you're using. You have your skills. You're, you're just doing your rotation to practice in the lower level content. Um, that would be the, the 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 quick and dirty approach I would take to balancing old content with abilities that you have that just aren't you know just aren't there. But um, I know that there's some disagreement on on that because uh, for people worried about the new player experience coming into the content and just seeing like all these level 100s are just mowing everything down and. I don't, you know, I didn't learn anything. Like, and that's a fair, that's a fair counterpoint to it. But, um, yeah. Oh, dude, that would be that would be freaking sweet. That's what I'm, that's what I'm hopeful for. I'm hopeful they'll start to outline those. I, I don't expect the first fan fest to be too much more than hype because I know they have to reveal a lot of the details later. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, but I do hope, like, I'd, I'd love to kind of have at least some hint that there's confirmation that female Roth is going to make it. I, I do believe that's the case. Um, I'd love a hint of where we're going. And then I'd love to start to see the outline of the kinds of big, high level, looking at the forest, not the trees mentality of what they're going to change. So what about the um, content pacing? What about the battle system? Um, you know, what what is the focus? They talked about with Endwalker wanting to focus on putting a lot of life in PV, uh, PvP. And I think they've done that. Um, and so kind of knowing what the design philosophy was as far as like, these are some things we definitely wanted to put some emphasis on. Um, and it definitely feels like they did that with Endwalker. Endwalker, they wanted to have a fresh start on the story. Endwalker, they wanted to go back and start rebuilding some old things. Endwalker, they wanted to um, prepare for the 10 years of the future. And Endwalker, they wanted to focus on PvP. Um, and, and off the top of my head, that's a pretty consolidated list of kind of the major summary of what they were trying to do with Endwalker. And I, mm -hmm. I think to this point, they've been fairly successful at kind of making that list. And there's been a lot of other things too. Um, 
but I think NA FanFest is going to be mostly a hype fest. It's mostly mm-hmm. going to be, we're not going to find out a date. We're not going to find out, you we'll know, find out the season, you know, so they're going to season is super vague. The end of that season. So if they say spring 2024, it's the last day of spring 2024 or, or, or near I mean, to we that. Know it's not before January 7th because right. that's, Japan Fan Fest, and, right. and obviously they wouldn't do Japan Fan Fest the, the week before launch, so we know it's not January 14th, and then you can keep following that logic. So I think March 15th is probably the earliest that I would guess um, for the expansion date, mm. and um, and then any later than May, and I would assume we're getting the world's first point six. Um, there has always been distant speculation from the, the crazy out there 1% of they're going to give us a point six. They never do, but... What if they did? Uh, if there did. ever was a time to do a point six and never do it again, this is the time. Between sagas, it also resets the clock. Historically, expansions launch over the summer, but because of the time that we all decided to stay inside, we launched in December last time, and a point six would allow them to get back onto summer launches. And Yoshi P complained about uh, and apologized for um, a winter launch multiple times. And so if they do not do a point six, how do you adjust the schedule? How do you get off your two-year cadence? So if you have one run, Two and a half years the way to do that is to give us a bonus patch and the question oh. is what goes in a point six because we've never had one and we would probably never have one again um do you do an extra raid do you do a goofy raid is it a crossover raid um yeah you can do something just like so i think the wild right conversation gets to be so fun is because we know we're talking pie in the sky we know we're talking one percent chance it happens but if it does happen anything you want in it could be in it the imagination is the limit because we have we don't like if you say well 0.5 patch is going to have another savage everybody's going to tell you no because we have a bunch of 0.5s to look at and they've never added that so like 0.6 is really fun because it's kind of a blank check that you get to write it's gonna be interesting to see what happens now i want to pivot a little bit to some of the latest gaming news i want to talk to you about the potential for 7.0 to actually finally release on xbox but this is an obvious uh, breakdown of the Microsoft Activision Blizzard uh, news and how that has since been delayed to a final closing date of uh, October the 18th, if not sooner. But before I let you weigh in on this subject, guys, be sure to hit that like button if you're here with us live or you're watching this as a VOD. Like, subscribe, comment below. Uh, we're bringing back the vlog. You've probably seen me vlogging a little bit. I got a couple of videos. The goal here is Chris isn't hopefully not going to be stressed out like he has any number of ones to respond to that he chooses. And we're going to be bringing that back and going to be having some fun with kind of a, a throwback as we get ready to celebrate eight years here on on YouTube. So if you guys missed the previous uh, part of the podcast, we were talking about Final Fantasy 14 7.0 expansions. So this is Microsoft Activision Blizzard, but also 14 on Xbox. Yes. No. What do you think, Chris? Um. At 6.0, as we built to 6.0 throughout that process, Phil Spencer came out and effectively said, the head of Xbox basically effectively said that all barriers have been removed on his side of the equation and that he would love to see Final Fantasy on Xbox. Mm-hmm. Yoshi P said in the same ballpark time frame that all barriers on the Final Fantasy side of things have been removed and that he would love to see the game on Xbox. So publicly, there were no remaining barriers. Now, because they were updating for the PS5, Yoshi P talked about how hard it is to bring on a new hardware platform, even within an existing ecosystem, and how many versions of the game they really do support from free trial all the way up through the very different, the various different hardware levels, and just how many quality checks there are. And think about how hard Endwalker launch was. Adding more platforms multiplies the cost, not adds to it. 
And so it made sense that because they were supporting the PS5, that it was not the time to onboard a new platform altogether. It's already going to be hard to get it ready for the PS5. And they were doing all this graphics update. So it felt like the way they phrased it, that 7.0 was the logical time to move to Xbox. However, since then, we have seen the relationship between Sony and Square Enix. Like they are starting to show up to dinner parties in each other's clothes. At this point, they can't <laughs> even tell their house keys apart. These are effectively one company right now. And um, it, it, it feels like that's further away, not closer in my opinion. Not to mention, um, there's a lot of movement in Microsoft to get ready to bring ABK into being first party. And so they've gone through a round of acquisitions, but I can't imagine they are making it easy. And I imagine Square Enix wants to either be paid or at least have an enormous number of dedicated resources on the Microsoft side of things to help make it happen. And I just can't imagine that Microsoft is in a position to offer that. Um, I assume there's a check that has to change hands uh, to at least match whatever happens between Sony and Square Enix, because I believe there is a check that changed hands. I have no confirmation of that. That's just what feels, it feels like it has to be money at this point. Based on every public statement, based on every public action, if there's not money changing hands, I'm just confused. So that's the only logical remaining reason. Um, yeah. Otherwise it's a growth vertical. So like if, if they're not coming out ahead monetarily, then I don't know why they're doing it. Um, so like, I, I would love to see it. Um, there, when Mac moved to 64-bit, there were games like Guild, like, uh, Guild Wars that chose not to make that jump, and um, they chose not to support that, and they actually dropped support for Mac. Uh, I was in the room when Yoshi P announced they were going to stay on Mac. Uh, it was at the Media Tour in 2019, and uh, I thought everybody was going to cheer that we were continuing to support platforms, uh, just as a general rule, whether or not you play on that platform. It's good that, that we support it. More platforms is better, whether you play on it or not. If you don't play on Xbox, it's not going to hurt you that they add Xbox. It's going to just be more people that you get to play with. That's awesome. You might have a friend at work that's like, oh, I would play, but I only have an Xbox. Now they could join you. So it's only good. Um, and I cheered and I was the only one. So like, <laughs> I just I was just a, a lone woo girl and uh, and it was just me. So like I'd love to see it. I don't think 7.0 is the time. I would um, I would rather right now see it on GeForce Now or something like that, where just bring it to this platform. And the best news, which doesn't really cover, it's such a minor note, but for me, it's so important. Octopath Traveler 1 and 2 is now on GeForce Now. So Square Enix has slowly started to step into that arena, which I think is a huge win, uh, especially in terms of cloud gaming. And so if they went and said, hey, we're going to come to G uh, GeForce Now for Final Fantasy 14, I think that would be an absolute win uh, for the game and for a lot of people, because the the best news here, guys, GeForce now runs on Xbox, so it wouldn't be any additional thing. You could just be like, all right, I'm just gonna fire up GeForce now from my TV or my Samsung fridge or wherever, and I'm gonna play, uh, you know, Final Fantasy 14. So I think that'd be really great. Um, beyond that, though, like obviously this is in lieu of the Microsoft Blizzard Activision deal uh, set to close July 18th. Uh, FTC lost their uh, case, lost their appeal. And the only uh, the only kind of slowdown is actually from the the CMA, which they're they're in talks. So, do you think this deal is going to close? Do you think uh, it's going to close before the eighteenth? Uh, I do. I, I think at this point, um, they're not saying no to it closing. They're saying we need to have some ground rules. I'm not telling mm -hmm. you no. I'm saying we need to have some ground rules. So as soon as those ground rules are agreed on, uh, we're going to move forward. And I think a lot of that comes from uh, the logic behind behind other similar things when Facebook bought instagram 
there was some concerns that they would just turn Instagram into an extension of Facebook. And so my understanding of that kind of merger was that there was some loose rules said that like, as long as you continue to run it as a separate entity, it's fine. But if you fold it into Facebook, then we have lost something. And if everything just becomes where one big web, where all future platforms, if you were to create like a Twitter alternative and it basically made you log in through Instagram and you couldn't even delete your account, imagine that. Um, it, it, that would be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And that ended up being the future, which tells me that that agreement wasn't worded strong enough that they could go back and undo it. And so I think any concern would be, hey, you've promised you're not going to make Call of Duty platform exclusive, you've, you know, and other things. I don't know how Call of Duty got to be the poster child. They're not the single largest revenue source for ABK, but um, great for Call of Duty. It makes them seem a lot bigger than they are. Uh, <laughs> so they're like, yes, we are kind of the biggest deal. No, you're not. So they, I think there's there's some question of like, how do they word it strong enough that if Xbox were to make Call of Duty platform exclusive, they would then have to sell off ABK, mm. right? How do we how do we put it in a position where there's something enforceable right. 10 years from now when Phil Spencer retires? And, and the new leadership's like, what are we doing? Why are we doing Bobby's this? Bobby's yacht has already sailed into space. How do we How do we make sure that the next round of leadership doesn't go, you know, it'd be cool if Call of Duty was that platform exclusive. And then they just looked at the rules and they're like, oh, it's like a $2 million fine. We'll just pay that and ignore it. Like, right. how do we do that? We're going to make way more money than right. the fine, you know, and that's one of the big problems. So that's what you want to avoid is that there is no ability to undo this if Microsoft ever becomes a bad actor. As of now, the argument from Sony was it's not bad for the consumer per se. We can't prove that, but it is bad for Sony. And the yeah. like, why do I care about Sony? Uh, who cares? Like yeah. the consumer. Um, not to mention that when it comes to them saying, well, they might make things like Call of Duty exclusive. Call of Duty has had elements of it be exclusive, such as additional loadouts. Those have been and on modes. a platform called PlayStation. PlayStation. Yeah. So like the reason they think that something about Call of Duty might become exclusive is because they looked in the mirror and realized they've already done it. So like the name calling in this has not really been consumer focused. It's been entirely about Xbox versus Sony. They really haven't cared about the gamer bros. Um, we self-identify as one platform or the other in many cases, but like in all reality, the platforms were the ones fighting. I don't know that this was ever about consumers. Yeah. I need to come up with a, like, we need to like be the guys who set the cloud bros, you know, terminology. So you got the Xbox and you got the Sony ponies and, uh, we got to come up with some kind of derogatory fanboy cloud, uh, streaming, <laughs> you know, platform name. Uh, we'll come up with it guys, guys workshop this with me in the comments or here with us live uh, because like, yeah, I'm like, eh, eh, does it run on cloud? Yes. Brian, why do you play on cloud? Because it makes it easy for me as a, especially as a dad. I think if anybody who's ever seen your switch at the bottom of a, of a tub or seen your discs and your cartridges, you know, thrown away, stepped on or broken. I'm like, the more that I can keep out of <laughs> ruin ability. I'm moving uh, full better. digital at work. Yeah. I'm moving full digital. Keeps my office cleaner. It just like, like just anything tied to this, that's what I decided since I kind of started this new job is that I'm going to, I'm going to do, do it a little different. I'm going to go full digital because I've been going full digital with content creation. And like, I, I really liked that. And, mm. and the more I moved to like all these spreadsheets, every time I pull up that spreadsheet on stream, that's all cloud documents. And so I don't like, I could pull it up. So if I end up streaming from my computer for FanFest, my laptop, instead of my desktop, which I normally stream from, I'll still have access to my spreadsheet. And like, that's yeah. super cool. And if I ever get into a nerdy conversation in a bar with one of you guys in mm -hmm. Vegas, pull it up on the phone. I can access it from right here, um, which is super cool. 
the uh, Cloud Bros or Cloud Andes. Uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. I'm liking the names that people are suggesting. Um, so, yeah, if uh, with Activision Blizzard, I think it's actually most likely going to close before October the 18th. It's interesting in terms of like the the cutout deal that it would cost uh, right now Microsoft three billion to back out, and then up to October it could cost them up to five billion. To, to walk away from the deal and not close. So uh, based off of the fact that it's just right now on the CMA that they're in talks that, you know, like everything else has been approved. Uh, I do wonder if we'll see this, you know, close in August or September uh, and not necessarily to the last minute. And personally speaking, I would, I just want it done. Like if it's going to be a no and Microsoft writes a $5 billion check, I'm happy. And if it is that Microsoft acquires them, I'm perfectly fine either way. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm in, you know, ambidextrous or whatever the, you know, console agnostic, uh, when it comes down to it, and I like my PlayStation Five. Uh, you have you got your PS Five yet, or is that still on the way? I just have to go pick it up. Cool, cool. Chris is going to be picking up a PS Five and going to be playing through Final Fantasy Sixteen. So we're going to be able to talk Very about that uh, later later this year, which is going to be exciting. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just yeah, I'm just kind of I'm kind of ready because it's because it's interesting because there's like kind of like three categories in which that uh, you know the Activision Blizzard deal um, you know is structured and in those categories, like whether we like, hey, we don't like Codec, or hey, we like Game Pass, or hey, Sony's been doing this stuff before, I think the best thing to come out of this, especially from the FTC, is written contractual word that these games are going to be coming to things like GeForce Now and other streaming platforms and other consoles like Switch. It's the forcing of Microsoft to whether they were planning on doing it or not to at least commit to it. And the question ends up being is like, well, yeah, in 10 years, do they just go ahead and say, yoink? Um, I hope not. I hope that it's more that let's just let, let's just people play games. Let's sell games. Let's play games. Let's have freaking fun with games and and call it a day. Milestone The focus on any one title, the focus on how does this affect final fantasy or which it's not even about final fantasy or how does this affect call of duty, which it shouldn't affect call of duty because Phil Spencer said over and over, if there's an existing community, we don't want to mess with it. If it's a new community that does not exist upcoming titles, we may mess with those, but Mm -hmm. if it's an existing community, um, if there's already that title on that platform, we're not going to mess with it. Like, that's not the exciting thing for me. What's exciting is this is a huge move for Microsoft acquiring as far as mobile, um, because ABK, you know, we, we all focus on the A and the B, but the K is mobile. And yeah. so King buying King is a big deal for Microsoft. Um, you want to talk about, like, Blizzard has Diablo Immortal. King is way bigger at mobile. Like they are so good at mobile. That's what they do. And so that's really exciting. Um, and and what do they do as far as being more platform agnostic? Um, this is a very big purchase of a lot of properties across a lot of genres, across a lot of different hardware specifications all at the same time. So the Zenimax deal was a little more narrow in that each of those communities, while um, while profound on their own, um, they're not as wide reaching as all of the ABK communities. Like the fact, like the Zenimax communities, there's only so much difference between this end of Zenimax and this end of Zenimax compared to, in my opinion, something where you have everything from Candy Crush to Hearthstone to Overwatch to Diablo Immortal to Call of Duty, right? Like, and I'm just naming a handful of their titles. So if you go look up everything that ABK owns, this is this is a very it's a wide wide thing. So they've kind of bought a large mixed use development. And it's got everything from a hospital to a gas station to a hotel to an apartment to an elementary school. Like and so like it's 
what they're going to do with that and the fact that maybe they they help move a lot of that stuff to geforce now or they help so like this is really going to set a precedent for what happens in the future because it feels like a lot of the industry has been moving towards consolidation which mm -hmm. i think is bad for the consumer as a general trend however if they use that consolidation to actually diversify the offering and it's just under one umbrella and they're saying hey we're happy to consolidate the money we like that part but we're going to diversify the access consumer in my opinion could come out ahead well the other side of the like that the the consolidation and the acquisition you know uh you know and merger uh you know kind of process is that people get paid people get a lot of money especially if microsoft and sony and sony's doing this as well by these companies my personal view on it is that you're a, you know, you're somebody who's working hard on the latest version of WoW or, or, you know, whatever, Call of Duty. And then all of a sudden, as a part of your your deal, uh, somebody just comes up and says, man, here's a here's a fat check, dude. Here, Thanks so much for your hard work. Here's what your shares were worth. We just got acquired, yada, yada, yada. Here's this fat stack. And then you go around and you're like, oh, cool. And I get an extra bonus if I stick around with the company for another year. And then you spend that year with your other fellow developers going, you know, I always really wanted to make this game and then everybody goes and says you know what we all just kind of got a lot of money all together what if after we all get our next round of awesome big bonus checks that we go and we just make our own studio and so i don't feel like mergers and acquisitions are the the death of gaming i think it's the ability to inspire those who are working in it to take the risk to go and try and make something great uh, a new IP, a new franchise. And I so it's kind of like in a way that when you start to think about, you know, controlled burns within like, you know, four station and making sure that like, yeah, we got to have enough room so that new life can can sprout out of these things. And the thing that makes it happen is, is for people yeah. that don't say they don't like all this consolidation. I will tell you that things like the steam sale and stuff like that, like support your indie devs. Like that's the alternative. People who say I'm tired of all this AAA stuff. There are a lot of not AAA developers out there putting out an enormous amount of content. Yeah. Um, speaking of AAA content, uh, Baldur's Gate 3 is set to actually launch on August the 3rd. They moved it up a month uh, due to the release of Starfield following in early September. Um, this game is fascinating because devs all over the world right now are talking about it in a, in a weird way, like in a, this is incredible, that's what they team they've pulled off. But please, for the love of God, don't think this is going to be the new standard for the AAA RPG um, because it's just not going to be something that these big studios can do. So it's got uh, it's got gamers talking. It's got devs talking. And uh, you played Baldur's Gate 2. I don't know if you're interested in picking up Baldur's Gate 3 at some point down the road, but I've had it since it came out in early access like on day one. And here we are really close to the release of the game. So I'm I'm really excited as somebody who still does not feel comfortable in the D&D world, namely because I was banned from it uh, as a kid growing up due to the satanic panic of the late 80s and early 90s. So I'm still like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. And oh, cool, that's what that does. You know, I still find myself always in a discovery mode whenever I sit down to play a D&D game. You got any thoughts on Baldur's Gate 3? I don't. I don't. I, I honestly, Diablo 4 launches season one today. So that's, that's going to be my focus this week. Um... I've, I have some friends that were hesitant about picking up Diablo 4 and they're going to go ahead and hop in. So I was probably going to do season zero and then maybe do season two, but because they're hopping in, I'll probably stick around for season one. Um, and what so on uh, Diablo then? Um, I think Diablo is a great game. 
I think it's a great game. It blows my mind how good the story is. I'm looking forward to getting into the new stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the world completion was oddly satisfying. Uh, and I and I was really nervous. And I expressed that nervousness when the game came out as far as what will happen um, when the season resets. Are they going to make me regrind some of these elements, such as the Lilith statues, which are these little collection points you have to do all over the world? And then they, they really did a nice job um, you know, to moving it that way. So like, I, I think that's like a lot of that stuff carried over from, from season zero to season one, uh, your map exploration carries over your quest, your main quest completion carries over. And so like, I, I think there's a lot there that carries. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about the fact that the codex of power doesn't carry. I understand why it shouldn't carry, but I just don't know what it's going to feel like that you have to reclear mm -hmm. that every season. Or if you maybe just go and reclear the uh, codex of power that you need and then mm -hmm. you ignore the rest because you've already got yeah. new tools for those. It's like, I, I haven't, I haven't gone hands on yet, um, but I'd like to. And, and so that's been my focus. Um, Baldur's Gate 3, like, you know, as opposed to comparing that to like, is that divinity of, of sin? Uh, is that, that is. Yeah, Larian. Yeah, Divinity Origin so, That's their know, pre, pre predecessor work. Uh, so, like, I, I think that, you know, games like this have interested me. Where I think they slot in is exactly what you hit on. Um, you know, the group I'm playing with wants to play Diablo 4, so we're going to do that. Yeah. But uh, it's the same. The group that I play Diablo 4 with is the same group that I play D&D with. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's interesting that we're talking about D&D and Baldur's Gate, and then I'm bringing up Diablo because for me, that's the same group of friends. We all share that element, um, and that's because that is a small group RPG group. Like that's that's who all these Diablo's not fun with a large group of friends because it really limits your party size. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, D and D is the same way. It's best played in a smaller group. Playing in a ten person game does not sound fun to me. Um, as opposed to when you play like Final Fantasy fourteen, I'd love to have ten people that I play Final Fantasy fourteen with. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how you get a static. So, like with some flex, somebody misses a week; it's no big deal. Yeah. So, like, I, I, I think that you're you're comparing games that they're those are three very different things in my yeah. opinion. Um, but for me, they all scratch the same itch. So I'm excited. That there's another way to do that. Maybe after we we wrap up this season, I'll go take a look at what Baldur's Gate is. Um, but that kind of multiplayer. RPG because I haven't looked into Baldur's Gate three, but I assume it is going to be a multiplayer thing that we could share that experience. Um, the very first Baldur's Gate uh, we had, and me and my brothers would sit around the computer and we would play kind of like over the shoulder, so like mm -hmm. a yeah, like a weird like couch co op where there's one person at the keyboard and the other two are are talking about what they want the decisions to be. Right, uh, and so it was this kind of very group oriented play, um, and I like so I've always had a fondness in my heart for Baldur's Gate because that. That was what my brothers and I had access to before we knew about D and D. Um, D and D has been around a lot longer, but we we just didn't have that awareness. Um, Baldur's Gate was what we had. It was how I discovered that world. It's how I fell into that world. Mm -hmm. so I discovered I discovered D and D after Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate was what opened my mind to this kind of turn based narrative experience of like I'm going to plan out my actions. Those actions are going to have reactions, and I'm going to need to think creatively about how I solve this and. Um, and a little bit of progress feels really good. And a little bit of loss can feel devastating. Uh, a single mistake can feel really devastating. Oh, it can alter a yeah. campaign. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that character's gone. And you're like, oh, yep. interesting. Made a mistake. And then, oops. so like the, the cost, for the fact that I don't like like hardcore, like I don't play hardcore Diablo, Yeah. Um, 
I, I will play where my character could die in D&D. So like, I don't know why one is okay and the other's not. Um, but I kind of store those in the same part of my brain. So on that, because I bring this up, because when we start to sit here and just look at 2020, 2023, like you got Octopath Traveler 2, Legend of Zelda, uh, you got Starfield, you got Final Fantasy 16, you got Baldur's Gate 3, you got Diablo 4. Uh, you know, we could keep going on and on and on. Like this is, is this the year of the RPG? Like, is this the year where we all look back and we're like, oh what was the rpg of the year for me like that year alone and i i i was thinking you know final fantasy 16 for me was just going to take the cake but bringing in Baldur's gate 3 to kind of sit alongside of it both have their like both have their style you know like if you want an action combat game Baldur's gate 3 is not that at all but if you want like oh i played the campaign and i played it a second time and I had a completely different experience or I, you know, like I, I died. I kept, I kept trying to fight this druid last night and she just kicked my ass each and every time. And I kept trying to do different things and it was wild. It was exciting. And at the end of the day, I just said, okay, screw it. I'll do what she wants as opposed to like just attacking her because she wants me to go and do this thing that I don't want to do. And I'm like, this is, this is crazy. And so now I know that she can be beaten and who knows, maybe I'll go power up and I'll go do that. But it's obviously very user choice driven. Uh, and yeah, even chat's bringing up Mario RPG. Uh, that's coming back as well. Um, so I'm, I've been saying this whole year, I'm like, I'm eating great. Like this is the year of video games that are just like hit after hit after hit for me. And I haven't felt like I've, I've, you know, I've wasted a single right. cent. So right. what do you think? Yeah. It, it keeps feeling like gaming gets healthier every year. So like, I'm, I'm just really excited where gaming is. Um, I'm excited to make more time. Uh, I'm excited for Final Fantasy, but like, it feels like at the same time that I want to play more Final Fantasy, I want to play more of other games too, because they're in just such a great place. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's just a lot of great games and, and, you know, you have everything from, like vampire survivors, like you have these little, you know, Fido's bringing up that $3 game in chat. Like you have these, you have these little two and $3 buy-ins all the way up to um, people that are buying big collector's editions and DLCs and subscription-based games so like that where you end up spending several hundred dollars. Um, Tears of the Kingdom is amazing. Mm. You know, so like when, you, when you, you look at where gaming is, like if a game is not fun, play something else. Like the, the buffet is huge. Uh, and it is at every price point, every difficulty level, every genre like it is just such a great time to be a gamer um that like if i'm not having fun at something i'd rather just i found myself my wife and i were watching tv the other night we we're winding down and uh i wasn't having fun watching tv and she was kind of she she was kind of on her phone relaxing and i said oh, we're just gonna go play games she's like okay and I, I, like it's just like if you're not having fun doing something there's a great game waiting for you um absolutely incredible so chat brings up and I want to kind of like take us into our final section of the podcast for today and kind of a community Q&A discussion. So I've got a couple of uh, starred comments. The first one coming from Ethereum says, can we talk about how wild it is that Mario RPG is a thing? Square Enix and Nintendo had a huge issue with getting out Mario RPG 2. And that's why we ended up getting the Paper Mario series. And in fact, it's because of Super Mario RPG that is one of the reasons why Square Enix and Nintendo separated for so long and had that, uh, you know, the company, the corporate rivals being so frustrated with one another that uh, that Final Fantasy actually went to PlayStation 
beyond the disc compatibility uh, uh, restriction. Chris, what are your thoughts here? Um, I think that it's it's wild to me that anything with Nintendo gets done <laughs> at the exact same time that it's wild to me that it feels like Nintendo should always be doing more. So I think just as a general statement, like this hits on like a very specific example mm-hmm. with our Mario RPG being it. But like every time Nintendo comes up, it's like, it's both why have they not done more and how did they get this out the door? Like those retro consoles shipping blows my mind that it got done. Mm-hmm. And it blows my mind that it didn't happen sooner. Like at the same time. Yeah. I always feel conflicted. Every time we bring our Nintendo up, it just becomes this Nintendo rant of how do they own so much IP and manage it both absolutely brilliantly and completely stupid. Like, so yeah, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how that stuff gets done. Like, I don't know who goes to lunch that Mario RPG becomes a thing. Like, where did that seed start from? Like, is there a no clip documentary on how I can go figure out how this stuff happens? Probably not yet, but who knows? Who is it that gets to make these decisions? And like, how many ideas didn't make it to this point? How many other Mario potential projects are not happening? How many other Zelda potential projects are not happening because they didn't do whatever this did? Yeah, when it comes down to Nintendo, like in Ethereum Followings, that says rip to streamers who stream Mario RPG. Like, oh, yeah, don't do it. I wouldn't touch like I, I want to stream uh, the Mario Wonder game uh, just it. because I'm excited, you know, to play it. But when it comes to yeah. Nintendo, anything Nintendo, honestly, yeah. still to this day, I'm just like, I'm just not going to touch it. Like, I'm just I'm going to this is just something that, you know, I experience in my world. And uh, it's just too risky. It's too dangerous. Um, and, and you're right. Like, as to the fact that this is happening, the only other thing that would just blow my mind, the things that I never thought would happen would be if they were able to like remaster remake the original breath of fire game uh breath of fire 2 and beyond they're they're the licensing behind that's all good and, and tidied up and easy to use but for the original breath of fire it is like this massive amount of collaboration work that the companies can't figure out who gets what and whatnot and that's just i think a real unfortunate you know thing about you know kind of some of these old games that we hold into such high reg- uh, regard and esteem and so i'm thrilled that mario rpg's uh getting uh coming back the way it is i'm all for all these 2d hd uh, remakes we've seen rumors about you know final fantasy 10 final fantasy you know chrono trigger even uh you know so all of these things that they can do uh are all uh you know well and good right it's not yeah. if it's a good idea. Like right. I, I know we want it to decide if it's a good idea or if it's commercially viable, and those are the only two things that matter because we understand it has to be commercially viable. And if we don't want to do things that are not a good idea, but when we talk about these older titles, sometimes there was ten people in the room, and all of those ten people own a portion of the game, and then they fragmented off into their own portion of the world. So it's literally a question of who owns what, like yeah. who owns the ability. That's why you're seeing things now, looking ten years into the future. That's why you're seeing some of these games now say, how do I pay the musical artists for this game enough that they don't get royalties? Not because I don't want to give them royalties. Like maybe that's it, but some of these checks are large enough that they're, they're hedging their bet. Like they're, they're like, no, I just don't want to have to come back and ask this music artist for a chance to re-release this game 20 years from now. Like, how do I own this game outright? How do I make this game a single property mm-hmm. so that it can be bought, sold, reused, whatever, 
Um, because now we're realizing that you're not just making something for this generation, but you might be making a game for a future generation. Uh, and, and so there's all these titles on like PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, Nintendo, N64, Super Nintendo, regular Xbox that are just going to be really hard to bring back mm-hmm. um, because the, the rights, like it's yeah. just a legal issue. Now, shifting into one comment, and I have one more after this. Patrick says, Brian, how come you never blame the dogs for your switch going in, in the tube? Uh, if the dogs are so well-trained, what is your secret? And, uh, and the only, the only thing I was going to add to this and the reason why I started this for later was, uh, because my kids spend a lot of time pretending like they're dogs and, uh, and I haven't had any issue with the dogs and technology. I do have an issue with, uh, our puppy and her, uh, you know, her desire to eat my wife's shoes. And that's uh, like, if I could fix that, then uh, then I would be an expert dog trainer. I'm just like, we got to store them at a high on a high shelf and you can't just leave them around because she'll get in the house and she'll find your shoe. And I don't know why it's your shoes and not my shoes, but I she loves your shoes. Any damage. What's he up? He doesn't bark indoors. He doesn't destroy anything. I don't know. I would just recommend a golden retriever. Yeah. Mine's a, a golden mixed with a uh, terrier. So it's the terrier probably side that I'm, <laughs> I get annoyed at more than Perfect. anything. Perfect. <laughs> all right thanks patrick for that hopefully you enjoyed that answer and uh for the final uh question for today's uh live uh, q a and thanks everybody for joining us on uh on the podcast or the live show if you're watching this in the archive be sure to leave a comment this that helps these uh the live shows out uh, dramatically i guess in post uh you know youtube world production um but uh the mmo ronin aka death monkey says uh, how do you link up with chris at FanFest? since you're Twitter. gonna be out there next week I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet where we're going. We're gonna go out. We'll, we'll go out for drinks after some stuff. So I look forward to meeting people. Um, but I think Twitter's like the nice most public space that I'll tweet kind of where we're going to get a drink and what the plan is. Um, I'll go back to the hotel room to record with Brian some. So um, so I won't always be out and about. But the goal is to stay out. I I did have to book my flight uh, out after the last night at five thirty five the next morning. So I'll stay out the last night and then I'm basically going to go straight to the airport. So uh, it'll be straight through day two. We'll go all the way into I have to work noon to six on Sunday. So I will basically wake up Sunday morning or Saturday morning, probably go for a run in Vegas, go to FanFest all day, stay out with you guys, catch a flight, work all day. So it's probably like a 36 hour stretch. Ooh. Well, guys, that's how you do it. Go follow uh, us over on Twitter at Work to Game. Uh, you can also follow me at Del Monte B if you choose to do so. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks so much for everybody uh, being here. Um, thanks, Chris. And we'll let you guys know. Um, obviously, we'll be live next week for the, with a the live show. But being that he's traveling on, on Thursday, we will let you know when it's scheduled. And we'll talk about gaming news topics and more that you guys bring up. So uh, appreciate each and every one of you guys. I'm going to go ahead and broadcast and wave it out. And we'll let Chris get back to his normal, uh, regular scheduled Thursday. So 